Father, I pray for each one of us. I thank you that you've placed us in our houses, our streets, our offices, our our families, um, the different circumstances and situations, because, Lord, you've called us to be ministers of reconciliation, to point people to you. And I pray as we come to a word now, I just pray that you would uh, renew that call in our lives. I pray that you would come and give us courage and boldness to, to stand as those who are followers of you in an age, in a generation that often so hates you, Lord, that we would be um, full of salt and light and we would be full of your spirit and full of boldness and courage just to say, yeah, I do. I love Jesus and I, and I follow him with my life. And so I just pray for each one of us that your word would put courage into us over these next few minutes. For your glory, I pray this and for our joy and the advance of your kingdom. I pray it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Um, I'm just starting a timer. Sorry, I, I, I just realised that could be dangerous if I don't have anything that might help. One moment. Come on, how to find my... Oh, there it is. There we go. Right. Sorry about that. Sorted. Um, so we're going to pick back up in the book of Acts in a moment, chapter 12, if you want to find that in your Bibles. Um, I just want to start by reading uh, a short quote from Spurgeon that has just uh, struck me this last week um, as I came across it. And, it, and Spurgeon said this, um, he died nearly 130 years ago, I think. So if he's saying this of his generation, maybe this is equally true of ours, if not more. He said, I, I believe that one reason the church of God at this present moment has had so little influence over the world is because the world has had so much influence over the church. Ouch. I believe that one reason the church of God at this present moment has had such little influence over the world is because the world has had so much influence over the church. I I hope that you really are living with a sense that God is doing something really quite remarkable in the days that we are privileged to live in, that he is at work, his kingdom is advancing. I, I, my, my sense is that we are in a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to say, what does it mean to be the people of God? What, what's the nature of church? What does it mean to gather? What does it mean to be scattered? What does it mean to be on mission? What does it mean to be followers of Jesus? Um, I know every generation should ask that question, but I, I feel like we have a moment to, to of reset and renewal in us as God's people, as we gather in our church families dotted um, all over the nation and nations of the world. There's a moment in God where we get to say, hey, is everything that we do, the way that we um, think about what it means to be the people of God, is that, is that really who we are? Is that who we're to be? Is that what we're to look like? I don't think this is just a, a moment for churches to restructure, to simply say, yeah, we could do better at this, we could do better at that, although maybe that might be a good thing, but I really believe we're meant to see this as a supernatural moment in God. This isn't just circumstance. Everything's just slowed down for a bit, so we get to, we get to reevaluate, we get to do a bit of an audit. No, this is a supernatural moment in God's grace to us as his people that we get to say, God, we want to be faith-filled. We want to be full of, uh, full of courage in these days because you've placed us in this generation with all of its challenges. You've placed us 
in this nation with all of its challenges, in this town with all of its challenges, because your plan is that your glory would be full in this place. That every corner, every atom, every heart, every every street, every home, every every family unit, every single isolated person would be full of your glory and know you and boast in you and worship you. That's your plan for all of creation, is that the whole world would be full of your glory. Peter, in 1 Peter 2, he said this. He said, he was speaking to the church. He's speaking to you and I. And he said, you are not simply churchgoers now that you are followers of Jesus. Now that you've encountered Jesus Christ, God in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. Now that you've encountered him and you've placed your faith in him and received new life, you're no longer simply churchgoers. He didn't quite say that, but he goes on to say what you are. He says this, but you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We're a supernatural people. We're a people who God has made, who God has called, who God has purchased and has formed and has commissioned with his mission to, to tell people of the good news of the king and his kingdom broken into a dying and hurting world. That in the mess of life, there is one who cares and can do something about it and bring life and transformation. So that's who we are. We're a supernatural people, part of God's supernatural kingdom that his glory may come and fill the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. And in this moment, I sense that God is saying, I want you to be thinking so much bigger than just going to church. You are the church, this, this one Peter two vision of God's people that, that Peter penned and says, look, this is who you are. You've got a mission to do. This is, this, is, this is really at the heart of who you are as God's people. And we come to Acts chapter 12 this morning. And as we read this, I want us to see this, this chapter to remind us in this great story of Acts, the launch of, of God's new tribe on the face of the earth, to, to see it as this supernatural mission, as this supernatural kingdom breaking in, as, as this supernatural power of God empowering uh, men and women, just ordinary men and women like you and I, for, for the purposes of God in their generation. This isn't just about um, religion and church going, this is about the kingdom of God breaking in. And so I want, to I want us to read it with that supernatural picture in our mind. So I'm going to read all of chap Acts, chap Acts chapter 12. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this was met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of soldiers. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was busy at work, earnestly praying to God for him. 
the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. I just want to pause there for a moment. He, he's, he's not a fool. He knows what's about to happen. He's just seen what, what's happened to James. He knows that he's next and he's asleep. I mean, this guy has no questions whatsoever in his mind about what is to happen to him next. They're going to put me to the sword and then I'll be in the presence of my heavenly father. Then I'll be in the presence of my King Jesus. And he's got no fear whatsoever. He is sleeping. I mean, I think, I think, I think Peter probably had just a moment when he was thinking about Jesus sleep in the boat and thought, this is a new storm. I'm going to sleep. I'm going to trust in the goodness and the promises of God. And so Peter was sleeping with between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries to guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. The angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came and answered the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening, opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. I love even in the midst of this story, there's just this humor in the Bible. It's just it's a it's a comical moment. Um, I just I just love that Luke has included this this moment of comedy genius of a young servant woman just in the middle of this story of Peter's miraculous escape. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him had brought him out of the prison. Tell James and the Tell James and the other brothers, this is James, the brother of Jesus, not the one who's just been killed. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, 
sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Amen. What an incredible passage. What an incredible story. This is right on the tipping point before Paul is back on the scene, um, really leading the rest of the charge of the book of the Acts, the, the, the church going out to the Gentiles, to the, to, the, to, the, to the wider world. This is that moment of just God's supernatural, miraculous power on display. Um, we haven't got time to do chapter 12 um, justice in 10 minutes. So there's, there's a couple of words I've just written down really that I just want to touch on from this passage. And the first is this, as we said, this is a supernatural story. Clearly, this is a, a power of the supernatural um, power and presence of God and his kingdom at work. There's a few things that we see. The first is this, that this supernatural kingdom, this supernatural power and the kingdom of God is subject to spiritual attack. Quite simply, faithfulness to God leads to persecution, pain, and suffering, and even death for the people of God. Faithfulness to, to God leads to persecution, pain, and suffering. And yet it also leads to, leads to seeing the mighty works of God. Spiritual attack is, is there, it's present to see in this in these in these chapters so right at the beginning we see that king herod is slightly playing politics and um, wanting to please rome the way he pleases rome is by keeping the jewish people happy and so he he decides to keep the jewish leaders happy and he has james um killed and his next in line is is peter i imagine it would be john after that taking the three lead apostles taking the leaders of the new church out of the picture and he is a wily uh, king he's and his plan is to destroy the church is to destroy the leaders and so spiritual attack is part of the nature of the kingdom of god that it suffers violence that that there is um the forces of evil and satan are against the kingdom of god and this is true of our generation this is true of our generation too that the church suffers in all kinds of ways across the world, that there is persecution the church faces all over the world today. And that we need to be, we need to realize that. And sometimes it's seen and sometimes it's not seen. Sometimes it's felt and sometimes it's, 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 it's more subtle than that. But the church, that we're at war. This is not neutral territory we're on. We're at war. There is a war of kingdoms that is taking place. And so uh, um, it was read earlier, the, I think it was um, Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs and the Lord scoffs at them. 
So the nations rage and conspire against God and his purposes. And yet God, he scoffs, he laughs at the plans of man. So there is a there is a spiritual attack dy dynamic and dimension taking place in the church among the people of God. And that's happening both for us at a corporate level, but also personally. And we just need to be aware of that. We need to be aware that we have an enemy, um, the, sa uh, the Satan, and we, we have um, demonic forces of evil who are against God and his people. Scripture says, doesn't it, that, that Satan prowls around like a lion looking for who he can devour. And this is just a reality to, to the supernatural element of who we are. And if we just think, well, yeah, I go to church and I, I, try, to, I try to just do the religious stuff, we're missing that. No, we are, we are part of God's people. We're part of God's tribe. And we've been told we're going to suffer as, as followers of Jesus. This supernatural kingdom is, is one that I think sometimes we kind of forget day in, day out. We, we forget that we forget that we are part of the supernatural kingdom, that, that there is demonic opposition and oppression against God's people. And yet, and yet God has called us to when we stand and face trial to stand and stand again. And so what do we see the church doing in the face of persecution, in the face of this suffering, in the face of uh, James being killed and Peter, Peter's imminent death? We see them in verse five. The church were praying. They were praying. They were praying. I think sometimes, and please hear my heart on this, I'm talking of myself here, not just anyone in particular. Sometimes I think we, we go to prayer as a last resort. I really think in this instance, the church went to prayer as a first resort. And this is what I mean when I think we're in a supernatural moment in God, a once in a lifetime opportunity when we get to, uh, to say, hold on, how are we building? I think that prayer needs to become a first resort for the people of God in this generation. If we really want to see God's kingdom break in, we've got to put prayer as the first resort. Hey, we, we can't do this on our own. This is impossible for us. They're against us. This is my, my boss is against me. My, they know I'm a Christian. They've just got it in for me. My family don't, my family don't like the fact that I'm, um, that I'm going to church. And they're saying, look, we, we just don't want to do anything to do with you. Hey, following Jesus can cost families. The first resort is prayer. The first resort for us in this new era is we, we say, God, we're going to seek you. We're going to pray specifically. So in this instance, we see the church are praying for the release of Peter. What I love about it in verse 12 is the comedy moment once again is that they've been praying. And you, you would think for a people who most of them alive at this point, still witnesses to Jesus, death and resurrection, you would think that people who had seen Jesus crucified, buried, and then resurrected three days later would say, yeah, this certainly is a supernatural kingdom. This certainly is a kingdom that faces spiritual attack and spiritual opposition. And you would think they're saying, we're going to pray for the release of Peter and we're not going to be surprised. But in verse 12 and 13 and 14 and then 15, their response to, to, the, to the young servant girl's report that Peter's been released and he's at the door is this, you're out of your mind, they told her. You're out of your mind. I think that God's plan for us in the days ahead is that we have moments where we're praying into specific things. We're praying for India, maybe, and for, 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 um, for COVID to break. And, and there's reports that come because the church has risen up and, put, and said, prayer first. And suddenly, the, the COVID leaves that nation almost overnight. 
And the reports would say, but you're out of your mind. Or for Shirley, for you with safe families that, that, that there's people who gather around you guys and what you're doing in prayer and say, we just want to support by praying. We want to put prayer first as you are, as you are facing spiritual attack, as you're going into the dark places in Swindon, broken families, and you're bringing the hope of Jesus Christ and his supernatural kingdom for transformation. And, and you say, I can't tell you the circumstance, but would you pray for this family? Would you pray for that family that Beth and Andrew know? Would you pray for this? Would you pray for that? And, and suddenly there's reports that come that say it's totally different. God's broken in. And the, the, we'd have responses where we kind of go, that, that, that doesn't happen. You're out of your mind. Come on, we've got to put prayer as a first resort for us as God's people in this new era. I want to ask for your forgiveness where we, where I, where we haven't as a church put prayer as a first resort, where we've just said, look, prayer meetings are something we put on. If you'd like to come along, then let's go and there'll be some things we pray for. Look, in this, in this chapter we've just read, they are praying specifically against Satan and his schemes of destruction against the people of God and his kingdom. This prayer is spiritual warfare. Prayer is our first weapon. So it's, it's a weapon we've really got to say, we, we, are, we, are, we are realizing that we are at war and we do not have the resources in and of ourselves to do anything about this, but God does. So prayer needs to be our first resort. The, just, sorry, I'm aware time's up. Um, in the midst of this, there are many opportunities for disappointment and giving up in the midst of this fight in the midst of this um challenge even for the church here as we see there's there's moments when they could just give up and peter says that that moment when the angel leaves him that moment where it says literally um sorry where is it uh verse 10 suddenly end of verse 10 suddenly the angel left him let's just be real for a moment peter's just been in prison he knows what's about to happen to him he could have said i'm off this is too costly i've got other cares of this world i've got things i need to think about we, we've seen people even when jesus was alive we've seen people who left him because the, the cost of following jesus was too high and so even here we see that peter could have scarpered at this moment he could have said this is just too high I'm not prepared to pay for my life like James just has. This is too high. John, the brother of James who's just been killed. He could have succumbed to disappointment and given up at this moment. Hey, this has cost my brother. This mission of ours that Jesus has sent us on, good as it may be, supernatural as it may be, it's just cost me my brother. It's just cost my family. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can count this cost. Sorry, Ollie's singing upstairs. Um, <laughs> but, but he didn't give up. He, he didn't succumb to disappointment. Even in his grief, he didn't give up. He said, no, this is a supernatural thing. The only hope I have is in Jesus and his lordship and his kingship and his kingdom come and his promise of eternal life. And so he went on to write his own gospel account of Jesus and his life and his kingdom he went on to write the last book of our bibles revelation that incredible ending book in the bible about the kingdom of god coming and in its fullness new heavens and new earth life with god 
forevermore. He went on to write those brilliantly um, um, named three letters he wrote, John 1, 2, and 3. They could have done a bit better on the old creative element there. And he, to encourage and strengthen the church how to live as followers of Jesus. He didn't give up. Listen, we face challenges all day, every day. You know that story that Beth and Andrew said, it could equally have been this. Hey, we hear you're Christians. Don't you ever speak to me in the street. Don't you ever have anything to do with me. Don't you ever talk to my kids about Jesus. It could, it could easily have been that. It could easily be that because that's what we're told in the workplace so often. Don't you talk about Jesus in this place. Hey, we don't do God here. We were once reminded of a certain political party. We don't do God. Or even, I'm not wanting to point um, fingers at any political party, but just recently, um, the leader of the opposition party goes to a, a black majority church in London, then discovers, lo and behold, that they believe the Bible's teaching on uh, marriage and sexuality is one man and one woman committed to each other for life. And that's it. That's, that's what relationships in God's kingdom are to look like. And then he says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I went there. I'm sorry I associated with them. Hey, that, there's spiritual forces at work here. You see, the, the story with Herod here, you can look at this story and just say, well, it's just a story. It's just a kid who was trying to do this political maneuvering. Well, he was. But also behind that are spiritual forces. Our generation, our story equally is true. We're living our lives. We're living our lives a hope full of God's spirit, full of his power and presence among us, saying, come on, be salt and light in your streets, in your neighborhoods. Tell people about the good news of the kingdom of God in your, in your workplaces, with your friends and families. Live as those who know Jesus. Be faithful in that. But recognize that's costly. Recognize you're going to need to put prayer first because it's a costly business following King Jesus day in, day out, both in the marketplace and in the hidden place. It's tough. And there's many moments where you and I could give up. But God's speaking to us in our generation saying, I'm doing a new thing. This is a new wine, new wineskin moment. Don't make it about the old things. Don't make it. Listen, we, we've got to not make it about rotors. Rotors, you know, as we begin to regather in person in the days ahead, sure, we need to organize ourselves because we're a family. There's lots of us. We, we want to care for one another. Well, there's nothing wrong with organization and doing that. But Let's not make it about rotors. Let's not make it about just coming and sitting. We are people who, as Ezekiel reminded us a few weeks ago, we gather together because I and you need recharging with the supernatural presence of God so that I may be faithful as I follow him through the week. And so as we gather together, we're going to come hungry. Even now, I, even as Al prayed for us, I'm like, yeah, God, I need that right now this morning. I need to know your presence and your peace in my life because I'm, I'm hungry. I'm weary. And so as we come, as we gather, as we begin to reform, let's recognize we're at a moment of reset. We get to say, come on, who, what does it mean to be a people who are faithfully seeking to see God's kingdom come, even at great expense, even at persecution, even in the face of that? What does it mean? And we're going to gather and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to praise God and we're going to pray to him and say, God, these specific things. We're going to bless one another. We're going to continue to lay hands on one another we're going to continue to tell stories of of God breaking in and you must be out of your mind moments as God surprises us and turns up and the end of the story finishes like this that all of the kingdoms that we heard about earlier um, from that psalm that the kingdoms that are raging and plotting against God and the Christ those kingdoms 
In Revelation 11, 15, we're told those kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. There is an end to this story, and it really is God wins. God is victorious. God triumphs. God has the glory. God will be glorified across the whole earth. The face of the earth will be full of the glory of God. It will be full of the glory of God. And the reason that we have this story right in the heart of Acts is because it is costly. It's costly for you and I personally, in our own circumstances, let alone then as a church family together and the dynamics of that and the costliness and the, and the challenge and the heartbreak and all the, all the moments of what it means to be a family. It's costly in that way too, let's be real. And then it's costly on mission. It's costly to be faithful to the mission of God. It's not costly just, just to do church, hear my heart on this. It's not costly just to gather on a Sunday. It might be for some parts of the world. It might be incredibly costly to do that. But for us, that's not costly. That's really quite easy. But the mission of Jesus, when we're on mission with him, that is a costly business. And so I want to encourage you, do not give up. Do not give up hope today for, the, for your own circumstances. Do not give up hope for the, the family dynamic of being God's people. Do not give up hope for the mission that God has got us on because we're about a supernatural kingdom we're about God's presence and his reign in this town into families in our street who we who will who will say I never thought they'd come to faith in Jesus and lo and behold they knock on the door and say would you tell me about Jesus it's a supernatural kingdom and God has the victory and he's empowered us through his spirit so that we can be faithful witnesses to Jesus and his kingdom come and so, Father, I pray for each one of us. I pray, fill us afresh today with your spirit. This is your kingdom. This is for your glory. And, and we, we recognize that you ask us, King Jesus, in following you to take up our cross daily, to be willing to lay down our lives, that even in following you, we've said, you are Lord and Savior. Lord, it's what you want. It's what you declare. It's what you desire. It's your vision for life. It's your vision for marriage. It's your vision for sex. It's your vision for money, for community. It's your vision for worship. Lord, we recognize in our, in our very own culture that the, it worships all kinds of gods, but we say we will bow to you and you alone, King Jesus. But we need your spirit for that, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to stand, to stand for truth and righteous injustice to stand for the oppressed and marginalized in our town. And so we pray for each one of us right now, may your spirit come and breathe afresh upon us, that we may be faithful, shining like stars in the generation that you've placed us in here in Swindon, for your kingdom to come in power. Lord, that we would say, oh wow, we must be out of our minds. Look what God's doing in our generation. We kind of given up. We just thought it was about going to church and God says, no way. No way, it's about moving to the ends of the earth. And we've seen already in Acts how persecution drives the gospel forward. And so we say, Lord, we won't be afraid, but we will put you first. We will seek you first, that your glory may come to the ends of the earth and that we will say of our part, we trusted him. We trusted him and he was faithful to the end. So we bless you, Lord Jesus. Amen.